This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spend half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life even now as a media creator and beer professional. This is what gave birth to Mountain Sea Media, the stories that impact our lives and give meaning to our business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 61 of Good Beer Matters. The customers had more options to get beer. So the dollar has spread out. So definitely tension travels. And if there's tension at the top at leadership, it's going to be felt throughout the brewery. And it's a conversation starter. Is it science? Absolutely not. But is it damn close? Yes. Times have been tough this year for many of us. For those who are normally accustomed to life's grand adventure, we're probably ready for some stability. For those unprepared for uncertainty, we've been shaken to our core. If there was a time to come together to share best practices and to build a community as well as a business, I'd say now is a pretty good time. But who can we turn to to guide us through the chaos? Wouldn't it be nice if there was someone who could pick us up by our bootstraps, tell us like it is, and help us move on to something better? If you need help clarifying the strategy and the finances of your beer business, I know a guy, and I want to introduce you to him. My next guest will help your business not only survive, but to set you up to thrive. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 61 of Good Beer Matters with Chris Farmant of Small Batch Standard. talk to you again and get some uh, insights from you. How have you been over there in Florida? I'm doing great, Jeremy. I want to thank you again for having me on the show for a second time. Yeah, things in Florida are interesting right now. We're currently, I think, one of the hottest states uh, for COVID. Uh, kids are going back to school uh, and we're just kind of rolling along. You know, we're, we're staying safe. We're social distancing. Um, but yeah, it's it's a uh, very very interesting times here in in my state of Florida. Yeah, and uh, and I I would imagine when you and I first talked, we were just kind of heading into the whole COVID pandemic, stay at home uh, thing, and trying to figure out what the hell do businesses do now. Um, we we've been able to in a lot of places have been able to reopen, and and I've heard of some breweries that are still trying to open because that was the plan. Um, uh, so it's still kind of an interesting time, and we're recording this uh, the end of summer of uh, 2020, and uh, 
Um, but what I what I really hope to do is kind of talk about some of these principles that will apply specifically in this uh, pandemic era, but in a larger sense, these principles that will apply anytime. Uh, my hope is that this would be evergreen information that you're going to share with everyone. Sure. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in and, and get rolling. So um, some time ago, uh, I, I came to find out that not only are you uh, kind of a, a craft beverage financial guru, um, but uh, I started uh, uh, subscribing to your newsletters, and, um, and and being a writer myself, I was really kind of smitten with the the writing in them, and, and so I, I contacted you and come to find out that you're the one uh, writing all the stuff, so you've got a, a definite creative side behind you as well, right? I do. Uh, so uh, back in the day, um, I like to say that I, I retired from acting and improv at a very young age. Uh, an unsuccessful career of acting and improv, but it's the creative outlet that I have, which I've turned into writing. And, uh, you know, content uh, coaches have gone back and forth for so long on what's the optimal length. Is it 600 words? Is it 200 words? Is it 3,000 words? And really ever since day one, for me, it's been about 350 words or less and just dish out the information. Dish it out as uh, candid as possible. Actually, our first tagline was Crafting Candor, uh, which we've since retired. But for me, it's been, uh, from a personal uh, short reader, you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna digest the actual content as quickly as possible where most of the content out there is just so verbose and long-winded that it just loses my interest. But what you're so, describing, what you're describing, uh, could also include bullet points. But uh, your writing is uh, short, punchy. Uh, I think Hemingway would be proud. Um, but it, but it's uh, it, it's kind of engaging. Where uh, you know, uh, like I mentioned to you before we started recording this, that uh, th- that was one of the few newsletters that I actually <laughs> read through. Because uh, I mean, who, who reads stuff anymore, right? Right. No, you're you're absolutely right. And we uh, we have a very loyal reader base. Um, and we have many opens and we have many, um, uh, engagements. So we get emails all the time saying, uh, anything from this is very relevant to us. Please get out of our head. Who are you? What are you doing? So this is the kind of engagement that we, we solicit because it, it means that people are reading past the subject line and, uh, what we've learned over the past uh, year is that um, we like to roll out what we call 20-day blitzes, and what, you're, what we're going to talk about today is our last 20-day blitz, which is uh, you know my look inside a brewery. What do I see when I go inside a brewery? And uh, the 20-day blitzes are very intensive for us, but we plan them way ahead of time. We uh, collect the data, we interview, we do whatever it takes. And then we start writing the content and then we just begin editing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, they, they have been very, uh, they've been very good to us. We get tons of engagement out of them and we hope to be delivering tons of good information. Uh, nobody wants to read 20 days of articles that is not, you know, supplying some good content. So, um, yeah, it's been good. We enjoy it. Well, and, and before we get too far down this uh, road, um, so we, we kind of talked about your creative side and your uh, 
in your copywriting outlet. But uh, tell me about uh, what you do uh, for craft beverage uh, and who you work with, and uh, and about you know small batch standard, of course. Sure. So small batch standard, you can view us as an agency for craft. And what an agency, if you think about a, uh, a ad agency, they really try to encompass the whole marketing experience. We're encompassing the whole uh, financial experience. And that's everything from outsourced accounting to tax compliance, and then certainly the growth consulting. And we have identified those services as what our team loves to do and executes best and what the customers get the most value out of. You know, if you'd come to me three years ago, five years ago, we had a whole buffet of services. And since about the beginning of 2019, we've narrowed it down into exactly what I said, outsourced accounting, tax, and growth consulting. And our team of accountants really fly low with the brewery uh, owner or the brewery point of contact to gather the numbers, put it in the accounting system, and then they feed that up to me at the 30,000 foot level. And that's when my brain starts going and I start interpreting different um, metrics or outcomes or suggestions. So we've developed a really strong model for a brewery that wants to get that accounting into an industry expert's hands and really make something out of the, the numbers, make decisions based on the numbers. So then who is your typical customer if you have one? Yeah, so our typical customer is a craft brewery or craft distillery. That's who we serve the most right now. Of any size? Um, you know, we like to say we serve breweries of 30,000 barrels and less. Our average brewery is between 1,000 and 12,000 barrels. Uh, we do serve uh, about six that are... 15,000 to 30,000. Okay. And uh, the, it, if you want me to get really narrow on who we serve, because there's really three profiles in the brewing industry, uh, we really serve what I call the two dudes. And the two dudes are literally two dudes, two guys that started a brewery. Uh, it can be a husband and wife. It, it can be someone who, uh, a team that really is looking for help and guidance. And that's who we serve the best of the three profiles. Gotcha. Perfect. Um, yeah. And I, I asked that question, uh, partly for anyone listening to this, uh, to identify, uh, with that and, and hopefully reach out to, uh, get your advice and, and bring you part of their internal team. But, um, I appreciate that. Of course. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that, uh, that, that need help and there's a lot of there's a lot of room to do a better job out there in the beer world um i think we've come a long way since since before uh craft really took off but we're, we're maturing as an industry now but the the uh standards of quality are still shockingly low and uh and and, yep. that, and i think we're about to dive into <laughs> into that topic but um some, some, can, I say, can I say one more thing before oh, we move on? Yeah, of course. Is ba back in 2011, w when I really started working with craft breweries, I, I coined the term that running a brewery is hard-ass work. And what I meant with that was, you know, running a brewery is far different than a professional service firm or a retail firm. 
for the fact that you're running five businesses under one roof. And it does take a level of understanding the ins and outs, the paper flow, the money flow to, um, to get it right. And, you know, the number one thing I hear when I'm speaking to brewery owners is, is, you know, my CPA just doesn't understand. He just doesn't get it. We don't. And so we, we really pride ourselves on being so deep in the industry that really anyone on the team can answer pretty much any question regarding the financials or yeah, the financial operations of, of the brewery, or if not, they have quick resources to go to. So, I mean, what brewery owners are doing is really difficult. Uh, it's, it, and, and so to, to tack on the complexity of managing the back office is just sometimes too much. So that's where we insert SBS and it just, it's been a really good run. It, and there have been uh, lots of conversations about, uh, you know, breweries run by the uh, bean counters or run by the brewers. And, and it was, it was almost like it was an us versus them type of thing. Either you're part of the brewing creative team or you're part of the, you know, dollars and cents team. Um, it, it seems, it seems to me being more of the brewer creative person and definitely not the financial person, but uh, having all hands on deck and kind of a unified front in that in that terms, because you know, uh, if if it costs me more to make this uh, barrel aged uh, American barley wine, um, and I want to sell it for five dollars a ten ounce glass, well, we've got to make up that money with some other beer. So, sure. you know, having having that balance seems to make the most sense to me. Yes, absolutely. Um, so let, let's dive into, uh, this, I, I kind of want to dive into specifically this series that you put out. I thought it was good because it, you talked more about more than just the finances. I mean, you looked at every part of a brewery of a typical brewery pub from the uh, standpoint of finances and strategy. Um, but it, it just really, like I said, I was kind of smitten with it. So, um, but, but it was the, uh, it was titled journey through the typical brewery. And and it was a several part series. Uh, part one was finance in the typical brewery, um, but with your blessing, I want to I want to read uh, kind of an excerpt from it to kind of get the listener into the headspace of where you're taking us, uh, especially sure. with your writing. Uh, you talked about uh, there are different scenarios and talking about your worst enemy, and you wrote, "It's you." And between the other hundred hats you wear, the weekly finance hat is a crappy one indeed. Usually at a time where you know there are a thousand other things you could be doing to move the business forward, you shut your door to your office and brood over your homegrown set of QuickBooks and Excel files. The blood pressure rises as you sift through the uncategorized transactions, relitigating every single spending decision you've, you've made over the past week. The team knows when this is happening, and for a few hours they're walking on eggshells. But it's got to be done. Tell us, tell us about where you were going with this this whole uh, part one of the, the finance of a typical brewery? Yeah, so um, the week one was about, was about finance. And uh, that, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, my intention with writing is always just to be as candid as possible and respectful. But sometimes you just have to dish it out. And I've spoken to enough brewery owners to understand that they want the cold hard facts. They they don't want it sugarcoated. They they want it they want it straight up. So, um, 
you know, my, my intention with, with this, this intro was to say, I, I get it. I get it when your, your plate's full and you're trying to fix a, a broken boiler and the, uh, distributor truck is waiting and the POS system is down and the bathrooms are broken and the last, and, and then your financials are not up to date. Uh, and you finally shed all the rest of the responsibilities to go and, and do the accounting. And the real question is, is, is this the highest and best use of the owner's time, right? Is it the highest and best use? If it is, then great. If that's their creative outlet, that's great. But if it's not, it is uh, probably not being done accurately. And second of all, it um, the outcome is going to be not useful. The results are going to be uh, not useful. So that that's really where 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 I was going with that. Um, yeah. Well, and and you kind of talked about how there are a lot of things that have to happen, um, whether you like it or not, whether you're good at it or not. They have to happen. But there's a ripple effect of. You know, if you're in a bad mood and your blood pressure goes up, the rest of the staff feels it and they know it. And, 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 and if your staff feels it, then your customers are going to feel it. And there's this ripple effect, this downward spiral that can be completely invisible through the whole thing. Um, and, and, and from reading this, it, it just talked about how you, you, you may have some, you may have some, uh, front of the house, uh, you know, person looking for more opportunity. So you hand off the stuff you don't want to do, but, um, trying to hand the stuff off in an intelligent way and ha and knowing what that effect is going to be. Hopefully it's positive. I mean, can you elaborate a little bit further on kind of where you were trying to land this plane with this, uh, first part of the series? Yeah. So definitely tension travels is what I say. And if there's tension at the top at leadership, it's going to be felt throughout the the brewery and your brewery has non-customer facing and it has customer facing and i think it just you know bleeds out there uh the the biggest idea for me would be how do you reduce the tension or friction uh and if that tension or friction is coming from tasks or responsibilities that you're not really certain how to do or you're not exactly sure how to do it be outsourced or delegated to someone internally or, or externally. Um, that's another complexity of, of brewing that it's, it's very service oriented. It's very marketing oriented and it doesn't take long before the social media outlets or the blogs begin or the forums begin talking about, you know, well, this brewery always has, uh, a, a bit of tension when you walk in or the, the taproom staff is not friendly or the brewers never come out and talk. So I, I do believe there's, there's a ripple effect and really this applies to any business. Um, but specifically for, for brewing, um, it's, it's very important. Yeah. Agreed. Um, uh, let's see. I'm kind of scrolling down here to make sure we're missing anything. Um, but then, but then, and so we're just talking about just the finances of the brewery with that section, but then, um, but then in part two, we start looking at the, the tap room 
So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of businesses that are, I'm sorry, there, uh, there's, there's a number of breweries that are just brew only, and maybe they have a little bit of room set up in case, you know, Joe and Jill want to walk in and taste something. But, um, but the tap room model seems to be, and you're the financial guy, correct me if I'm wrong, but the tap room model seems to be common standard and pretty much where a brewery is going to make its money, right? Correct. Right. Okay. And so we, speaking on that taproom section, we, we labeled the taproom your honey hole uh, back in 2015. And we talked about it. We beat the honey hole to death. And then we put it away. And with this series, we thought it was appropriate, given the situation we're in, to resurrect uh, the honey hole. But, yes, your taproom can be a very high profit center. Uh, the margins in the beer are excellent. I equate a tap room to, or the margins in beer to a, a coffee shop on steroids. And the reason is, is it's take, it's, it's roughly, it's slightly more expensive to make a glass of beer than it is to make a cup of coffee, but you're charging two times the amount for the customer. So it, it makes, common sense to, and I think most breweries out there have a tap room now. They may have started off in a location which is not very favorable and haven't expanded to a second or opened up a satellite tap room. But for the most part, every brewery has a drinking area. It really depends on what they've done with that drinking area uh, pre-COVID as to how much business they have generated. It depends on the culture of the brewery. It depends on the tension of the brewery. There's so many things that draw because I know of many breweries out there that are in the middle of nowhere that pull huge crowds. And I know breweries in the middle of metropolitan cities that can't get very much business. So location is important for your tap room, but it's not the end all be all. I really think the tap room needs to be handled with baby gloves and it needs to be handled with a lot of planning to execute the sales necessary to um, keep the business going, certainly during these COVID times. Hmm. So from what you've seen, what are some uh, breweries all around the country that you're aware of? What are they doing right and what are they doing wrong when it comes to their tap room? Yeah, so, I mean, do we want to talk about pre-COVID? Do we want to talk about during COVID? I, th- I think it's two completely co- different conversations. Um, let's start, like, pre-COVID for a minute. Yeah, okay, good. Let's start, let's start yeah, let's start pre-COVID. And, and when, when people could come and pack the tap room out, um, you know, I, I think the breweries that were struggling in the tap room just didn't care, didn't understand the profit margin, didn't um, – put into effort to create an experience for the customer. Um, and that reflected in the number of people that came by. Everyone's willing to try something once, but how do you capture that recurring, the recurring sale? How do you, how do you recapture, how do you capture the recurring sale is the, uh, and the lifelong customer is, is the question. So, um, breweries that didn't put much effort in it, it, it once again, this is another thing uh, with culture and energy kind of seeping from the top. 
in some cases, the owner was being pulled in a million different directions and really couldn't lend any mental real estate to the town because they were the brewer, they were the driver, they were the sales rep, they were everything. So it just, it lay by the wayside. Um, in other cases, it just was a toxic culture. So it, no, no real investment was put into um, the brewery. And then I would say, look, as all these breweries have come on, people, the customers had more options to get beer. So the dollar has spread out. Whereas my 10 minute drive, I could only get to one brewery. I may be able to get to two or three breweries now. So the consumer's dollar is going to be spread. So that's when it was even more important to polish up the experience, polish up the offerings, um, polish up the culture, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, Pre-COVID breweries that were doing very well in their tap room basically did everything opposite of what I what I said. The tap room staff loved to be there. Uh, constantly new beers coming on. Uh, owner and brewers were always out after shift talking to customers. Um, they had a very robust event schedule. They um, they really engaged with the community. <clears throat> and the customer can feel that, right? The customer can sense that. It's a safe place to show up to. It's a fun place. Um, and so they prospered and they did very, very, very well. Um, let's talk about COVID times, right? Because back in April and May, March, April and May, we were waving a big flag that tap rooms were going to um, really become a polished packaging store. I think I even used that same quote on your your last the last episode I was on. And so uh, breweries quickly ramped up their package offerings. They lined up cans and mobile canning to get to get going. And they turned the customer experience into a pleasant buying experience. So whether that was curbside service or to-go service or delivery service, they're doing what it takes to sell beer out of the tap room. There's not many places where you can go have a pint on site anymore, or it's very limited. <clears throat> so you got, you, I mean, this is a manufacturing business, right? You have metal in the back. If that metal is not filled and working, you're losing money. So I would say breweries have scrambled very well to keep the, um, keep the tap room alive. Um, I would also say that remember when everything was just completely shut down. Mm -hmm. So I think breweries at that point had an advantage because the brewery was another stop from your home, which was home or house arrest basically. <laughs> and you'd go to the grocery store, the, the husband or wife would, would, would jockey to who was going out to the grocery store to get some time, you know, away from home. And the brewery was just another stop. Even though the grocery stores were selling out of beer left, you know, left and right, people wanted new, they wanted fresh. So we saw actually a huge spike in sales across the board of our customers 
when everything was closed down. <clears throat> now that everything is open or partially open, we've actually seen a, a decline in sales. Once again, the dollar has more places to go. But are we talking about packaged beer or uh, or keg beer on, on or off premise? Which which I'm, are you referring I'm, to? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm talking about directly packaged beer uh, from tap rooms. Okay, got it. Yep. Uh, and and then the opening and closings have put a huge wrench in labor planning and production planning and um, event planning, like anything that a brewery used to do. They just don't know how. It, it, it's just day by day right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no opportunity to get to get ahead of it. Um, yeah, so I, I would say that um, the, the 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 current tap room experience is follow the restrictions of your state. Um, offer uh, a variety of package to go, uh, place that in a well-lit nine-foot cooler, branded, clean, allow the customer to walk up and open that cooler and touch it, just like a C-store. Um, if you go into a C-store, how many beverages do you see? Oh, hundreds. Hundreds, right? So I'm even going a step further now and saying, get a second nine-foot cooler get a third nine foot cooler or six foot coolers because it's, it's the seesaw effect. You go in, you grab one beverage. Oh, wait a minute. I want this beverage. I want next thing you know, you're walking out with three drinks. Uh, the same thing applies when the customer is looking at a wall of packaged beer. Then you add on the beautiful label art and the different pack sizes and beer starts flying out the door. And I think a, a smart move that some uh, bottle shops that I that I go to is they they have uh, six pack holders all ready to go. So if I go in there and grab, if if I'm looking for one or two beers that I want to try or taste, um, and I I see a third, well, oh well, I've got I've got three three bottles or three cans for the six pack cooler. I might as well just get three more. So it's it's right. kind of a great way to. Uh, upsell it, but everyone everyone wins in that scenario. Yeah, build your own six packs, mix packs. Um, a lot of customers are offering their products, and then their 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 standard packaging, and then they're they're doing a mix pack mm-hmm. uh, at at the tap room. Well, let me ask you this because it seems uh, I I haven't seen the latest numbers on on how many breweries we are expected to lose. We're we're still not out of the woods as far as this uh, uh, COVID thing goes. Um, but it seems to me that, um, you know, some places will close, whether it's a brewery or another on-premise or a bottle shop. I mean, there's some places that are closed to just to weather the storm, and who knows if they'll open again. Um, and, uh, you know, people want to get out because they're tired of being at home, but there's some people that are still trepidatious. We're, we're nowhere near hitting our pre-COVID normal levels yet. Right. In in my mind, um, that just means things have, while there's less competition out there that's open, there's also fewer people going out. And so in, in, in the position I'm in now, I'm able to talk to a lot of different accounts and a lot of different fields. And they're, they're working off a, 
well, hey, we're we're only you know twenty percent short of last year. That that's good news. I mean, it, I mean, an ordinary conversation that would just be a death stroke for some businesses. But everyone is just a a you know well trying to figure out you know uh, what will help them keep going. Let, let me let me just word it that way. So for these breweries that are still trying to differentiate themselves in this current COVID and eventually the, the post-pandemic era, what can some of these tap rooms do to stay ahead of, of uh, the competition and stay in, in trying to draw some of those trepidatious people back in? Sure. Um, yeah, so first and foremost, um, continue brewing delicious beer. That, that's high-quality delicious beer. Um, if you're in the mobile canning game, uh, you need to watch that stuff pretty closely because those guys are being pulled so in so many different directions, and, and they're so busy that I think efficiencies and quality are sometimes falling by the wayside. So delicious beer and um, <clears throat> delicious beer and uh, quality of packaging. Um, the next thing is going to be online sales, right? Give the customers more buying opportunities. Uh, that includes beer and merch. Uh, offer curbside. Offer delivery in the cities that offer the delivery. Um. And the last thing is going to be food. You know, we talk a lot about food in this last series. And I have a saying that everyone has to eat, no one has to drink. <laughs> and and it's it's true. Uh, and I know that our full brew pub customers have not missed a beat and, unless they were forced to be closed. Um, but they are... They're doing very well. They executed well before, and they were able to pick back up right when things opened opened up. And there's certainly they're following restrictions and, and following guidelines, but um, the permanent food component is critical to the next stage. Food is, is going to be a critical component to Taprooms 2.0, and I'm starting to see some creative models. Uh, with food. Uh, the first creative model is, uh, have you heard of ghost kitchens popping up? Uh, of what? Ghost kitchens? Yeah, ghost kitchens. No. So ghost kitchens are basically commissaries or uh, warehouses that have been converted to as many, many kitchens as they can fit in there. And basically they're a pickup location for delivery services or, um, uh, you know, bigger catering operations. But cities like New York and L.A., they're starting to pop up everywhere. It's lower overhead or it's an extent, it's a lower overhead for the restaurant or it's an extension if their current location is kitchen is getting overwhelmed. So in cities that have ghost kitchens, breweries need to figure out how to tap into that ordering system and figure out how to get it delivered. Um, uh, another option is to partner with a food person and a food purveyor or a caterer to deliver food options that can travel, that can withstand heat lamps. Uh, 
that are that are beer friendly. But I'm pretty sure that most states now are requiring a semi-permanent food option at the tap room to be open. I know in Florida you have to. I think in California you have to. Um, so food is going to be critical. And I know in Florida they the latest closures of breweries disallowed food trucks. So whereas before you could have the food truck open, uh, roll up, you can no longer do that. You have to be on a licensed uh, food provider to reopen. So it's a sign of the times. I don't think brewery owners intended to get in the restaurant business, but it's going to be a long wait if they are intending on uh, waiting for the state to open back up and say, hey, everything's normal, go on business as usual. So I think now is the time to really invest in food uh, for a food program for your brewery. And I've always wondered too, and I don't know about the legality, and I'm sure it's different in every different place, but the if you take something like the Blue Apron model where you basically have a dinner in a box that you prepare with instructions, and uh, I thought it would be a, a neat idea to do kind of like a three-course beer pairing in a box uh, that you could send out to your customers. As you know, we put this together with you know in, in a six-pack of beer, put it together this way, drink it with these, and voila, you have an experience. Um, and I, I think I've heard of some uh, people out there trying to do something along those lines, but. Uh, there's a there's a different set of challenges, uh, both legal and logistic, uh, to doing something along those lines. But I mean, if the choice is being closed or or work extra hard, you have a choice to make. Yeah, I I, I would also add to that. Um, that's that's a great idea, by the way. Uh, I would also add to what breweries are doing now is they're trying to extend the tap room to the customer's house. Uh, a perfect example of this is I have a customer who always had a barrel of shelled, uh, shelled peanuts or shell mm. peanuts in the tap room. Mm-hmm. And patrons are allowed to crack them and drop them wherever. It's part of what the brewery is. And with a tap room closed now, they can no longer do that. But beer to go gets a, a paper bag of peanuts. Oh, that's cool. To take home. Just to say, yeah. hey, here's, here's the experience. Here, here's the mini version of an experience. Exactly. Exactly. Don't forget about us. This is what we're all about. Uh, you know, we'll be here at the other end of this. That's um, great. So, yeah, and you could you could do that in many different uh, examples, uh, but that one really sticks out for me is is an extension of the 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 tap room. Uh, other other breweries are doing Zoom tastings. <laughs> if they're barrel aging something special, they will. Um, sell a limited quantity of it and then schedule schedule tastings with the brewer. Uh, I know distilleries are doing that, uh, especially for their accounts, because they are unable to go visit accounts now. So they're telling their the beverage director, stop by, pick up a box of samples, and you know, Tim the brewer or Tim the distiller, excuse me, will be on. Um, at this time, walking you through all the products, and then you can place an order in. Um, did, I, 
Did I mention online ordering? Jeremy, I forget. Did I mention online? I believe you did. Okay. I believe I believe you did. I, I feel like you and I have talked about that. And, and if anyone listening to this says, no, he didn't, well, I think we did at least the last uh, podcast. But, um, but that's okay, because I, I do want to move on to uh, part three of your series, uh, where you talk about the typical brewery's distribution and operation. So... So now we're moving out of the tap room, and now we're talking about uh, just getting kegs and packages out to where they need to go. What what is your uh, what was your kind of thought with uh, what breweries need to understand uh, when when we're talking about distribution and strategy? Yeah. So I've I've always had a theory, and this it's really not a theory; it's kind of a fact, but it doesn't apply to every brewery. It applies to most that. Your most profitable skew in distribution is a sixtal, and I think every brewery will agree with me on that. Uh, your second most profitable skew is a case, okay? And the final skew, which is a half barrel, I believe in most cases is break even, or some breweries are selling it at a loss every time it goes out. And so, This is the time, while we have some idle time on our hands, to really dial in margin per skew. What is left over when the keg leaves? What's left over to pay advertising, rent, um, utilities? Sales reps. Sales reps. You know, what's what's left over there? Um, That is so critical. Because imagine if you find out that every time a half barrel leaves, you're you're making three percent margin on it. Well, once you add in everything I just described, you're actually losing money every time that half barrel leaves. Versus when you when you every time a sixth leaves, you're you're keeping twenty bucks after everything is paid. Well, you would be making some quick decisions to stop sending out half barrels. Now, what the implications of that are, I'm not sure. And I think the margin exercise that I talk about is really, it really affects the, uh, the more established breweries, so the older breweries. So you started in 2010, 2012, you're, you're in distribution with a distributor, and you really just haven't seen the pricing increases that you would expect. Or years one through three, you you saw awesome price increases, and then years four through six, you got lumped in line pricing with every other IPA in your market. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? These are these are serious issues. You know, when I see a half barrel go to a distributor for one hundred one, one hundred five, one hundred seven, I'm just like, you're not making any money. You're not making any money. Stop, stop selling it. I mean, I would rather you sell it out of the tap room or move it to a sixtal. Or so really dialing in that margin per skew. And, you know, we talk about uh, a a way to do that. And and the way we do it is, you know, we start off with a report out of Ecos, right? We're big fans of Ecos. Um, All of our staff can zip through that software better than I can. And they... um, we start off with a, a finished goods cost per batch. Then we add in the labor and overhead factor. Then we figure out the price. Then we figure out the margin. 
and it's a conversation starter. Is it science? Absolutely not. But is it damn close? Yes. <laughs> so we are able to say, yeah, let's do this. Um, the, the biggest wins in, in this exercise that I've done with some of our, you know, more intriguing breweries is, you know, do we expand, do we pull back into sixels only? Can we afford to create a 12 pack of this viral beer? Um, do we open up a new market with this pricing or do we just continue to pound our market with everything that they're taking? You know, cause the question I'll get is, is, Hey Chris, there's this part of the state that we're not in yet. And the distributors are chomping at the bit at us. Uh, should we, should we go there for just like an insurance policy in our back pocket? I'm like, let's figure out, let's figure out what the margins are. Let's get to the numbers. Let's make decisions based on numbers. Okay. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I just had a question in my mind. Um, well, I'll, 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 uh, parlay over to this, uh, in a previous guest, on the podcast, please forgive the shameful plug, but a previous guest, I spoke with uh, Garrett Marrero of uh, Maui Brewing Company, and we talked about how, you know, of course, he's he's brewing beers in Hawaii, and he's shipping them off to different parts of the mainland because, you know, it, it was a perfect model. People go to Hawaii to have this, you know, tropical vacation euphoria and bring some of that home with them. You know, they get a Hawaiian shirt, mm-hmm. a, a lei, and a six-pack of Maui Brewing, and they bring it back with them to to Missouri and, and Minnesota. Um, uh, but he talked about how, you know, he's very, uh, uh, savvy with uh, the business. And he said, you know, they're just some, uh, and that was the whole reason why they would put it out and, uh, put Maui brewing out in different States. But it, the, the numbers didn't make sense. It, it wasn't, it wasn't doing what they needed it to do. Um, and so they, they made some decisions to pull out of some, Areas when you're thinking, well, don't you want to get your beer out there and and go coast to coast like some of these you know large breweries? And it's like, really, no, no, that's that's not serving our brand. That's not serving our finances. It's not serving our customers. Um, and so, what you're talking about is, you know, people just want to grow, 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 grow. What are those scenarios that make that you would advise them to say, no, this is not the right time? Sure. I, you know, I think the I think early on it was a land grab. Uh, 2010 to 2016, it was a freaking land grab. If a distributor came to you, you just signed it. Um, I think that slowed down, right? And and we've been preaching since early 2011. We want to dominate uh, 15 to 30 mile radius of the brewery. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, your backyard. It's, it's, it's close to home. And, uh, what I would say if someone says they want to grow, 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 I would say, no, 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 stop. <laughs> or why, why, why? Right. Well, I would say no, 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 but then I'd say why. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think the landscape of distribution now has changed so much that, uh, distributors portfolios are just full and they don't care. They, they really, they just don't care. And have you, have you heard my theory about distributors? Uh, I, I don't recall it. So by all means, tell us anyway. Yeah. So, so I view, I view, I view a distributor as FedEx. 
Um, they get the beer from point A to point B. Sure, they have sales reps. But do they really have sales reps? Uh, I think they get it from point A to point B. So Yeah, I, I, I share the same sentiment. Sorry to cut you off. I share the same sentiment having worked for a distributor and having worked with distributors uh, for different breweries. And, and, you know, and let's be honest, they are a very necessary cog in the wheel. But, I mean, their job mm-hmm. is to get widgets from point A to point B. And those right. widgets just happen to be not even beer, beverages of any kind. So, um, so please continue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree that they're necessary. Uh, but I also agree that they're completely unmotivated right now. Their portfolios are full. Uh, they've basically stopped taking on a lot of, uh, craft draft, draft beer. And it is, not in a brewery's best interest to grow until they've fully saturated their market, oversubscribed on the saturation. Mm. So, you know, accounts and distributors are buying everything you have and you just can't keep up, right? Or you you expand into something big and you just keep feeding feeding your own market. Now, for breweries that have overexpanded, you gotta get rid of that inventory. Uh, I've seen it done Domestically, and I've seen it done internationally. I think both are the kiss of death. I think a flash in a pan two states over for whatever reason is it's quick cash, but it's not long-term cash because typically that brewery doesn't have the resources to support that market. You and I both know what it takes to support a market and money and, mm. and, um, and humans. So I would say if a brewery has tons of capacity and is looking to expand, I would say put that capacity to different use, please. Um, either through contract or co-packing or some other means uh, to, to use that metal because it hurts my heart to see a brewery not fulfilling its capacity. I don't even, I hope it's hurting the owner's heart. Um, and I understand right now everyone's op- most people are operating below capacity and Really, I'm talking about like pre-COVID times because sure. few few people are going through mass expansions right now. Yeah, right now everyone's well, just trying to figure out how to how to limit the bleeding. Yeah, just survive. Mm-hmm. Just survive to the other side. Um. So, yeah, I am a huge advocate of staying in your in your backyard until it makes sense to expand out, or you hit it with the mass beer that is um that can travel and has a stable shelf life and people are driving all over to get it from all over to get it hmm. so yeah I, i'm 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 not a i'm I, 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 I'm, I'm i'm really a proponent of of not of not expanding it just it it's a distraction it costs tons of money and it's temporary cash that is usually not recoverable and and i think it i think it's part of the cultural mindset of you know this is america we've got to grow we've got to get big well well and this is why i said why 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 do you need to grow why do you need to get big why do you need to have your manifest destiny of coast-to-coast distribution what is your purpose behind your goal um and uh, I, I think a lot of people just uh, seek growth for the sake of growth because that's what we're told to do. Um, I think they're. I'm I'm a bit. 
uh, I don't know, I don't know the correct term for it. I, I just believe in the in the power of a positive vision and mission um, of, you know, let's do something with this uh, ability to garner uh, people's attention for a minute, you know, it's mm-hmm. uh, through beer. Um, uh, and, and I think, uh, right. actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that as a segue to that uh, last part of this uh, series that you put out there as, as far as, um, and it's funny, I mean, you're, you're a financial guy, you do financial services for breweries, but in this last one, I, th- I was really impressed. You started talking about vision and leadership in the typical brewery. Um, so I, I'm going to use that as a jumping off point, but what was your, your point from coming from a financial standpoint of vision and leadership? Yeah. So I, I think we would be remiss if we only stopped at finances because we have so much knowledge about the industry that stopping at the P&L and balance sheet would sell our customers short. So we're constantly having conversations about what's the vision, what's holding up the vision, what do the founders think, what do the investors think. And let me segue for a second and describe what vision means because we've all taken business classes and they have talked about mission vision. I have a slightly different definition of a vision and my vision, my, my definition is very quantitative. So when I establish a vision with a brewery, it's questions such as, um, how many employees do you want to have in 10 years? How many locations, how many revenue, how much revenue, what size brew house, um, what do the operations look like? How many States do you want to be in? What are the number of CEs you're selling each year? And I really encourage them to dream big. You know, the vision is big. It's big, big, big. And so that vision sets the stage for how do we achieve it? So typically it's a, it's a 10 year vision and that 10 year vision is going to change 10 times. But for that moment, we dream really big and we lay it out. And from there, we look at three-year deliverables, and then we look at one-year deliverables, then we look at quarterly executions to get to that that 10-year vision. We use a similar process in our office for my business, and we review that vision every single Monday. Hmm. It's just like we just review it every single Monday in our operations meeting because we've grown so much over the last 12 months we want to make sure that every time someone hears our vision, they're on board. They are on board because we're growing so fast right now. If someone begins to dissent or not really buy into what we're doing, we, we need to figure that out pretty quick. Um, so back to, um, back to breweries. Um, the owners have been doing the day-to-day tasks for so long, they haven't even thought about a vision, right? 2010 to 2015, it was get rich quick, build this thing and sell it. Mm -hmm. Well, the reality was only a few guys could sell and they sold. But it gave hope to everybody. And then 16 through 20, it's been just like, buckle up, change is coming, right? Change is, you know, we need more business, uh, acumen, we need more operations, we need 
to squeeze more beer out of each batch. We need to, you know, we need to improve our efficiencies. So things started to tighten up over the last last couple of years, and I think the owner has been stretched thin the entire time. Well, once again, with this COVID downtime, if they have any downtime, it's now is the time to sit down and talk about, have an honest conversation as to what the vision is. Where do we want to be in 10 years? Is that a certain size and sell? Is that a certain size and bring family into it? Is that just keep operating it and cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, predicting the shakeout and playing the shakeout game, I, I don't think it's, I don't think that's the right steps right now. Uh, people always ask me about a, sh- a shakeout, and I say, look, breweries 3,500 to 10,000 barrels are doing damn well. They have their numbers in line. They have scaled back labor, tightened up labor. More people are doing more. Uh, the same people are doing more. And they are they are going to make it out of this thing. So, sure, some breweries aren't going to make it out of it, but... For the majority, they are, and I think when they come out the other side, it's going to be a land of opportunity, and I think it's going to be a land of um, growth, you know, an opportunity of growth. But given this huge diversion of 2020, I really think a vision needs to be documented for, um, for breweries. So it seems like a lot of that stuff could could uh, answer the question of how are we going to get there. But I also know that you're a big fan of Simon Sinek, um, and so I, I kind of want to ask you about uh, his idea of the start with why. I mean, answering the why bruiser there. Is that something that you bring up with your clients? We did in the past. You know, Simon's published a lot more stuff that I read since then, but that's the, the foundational book that attracted me to his you know following. But... Um, we, we, we do insert why, uh, I think that's more NBA talk, like mission, vision, why, why, why do we do this? I'm really diving down into what's possible guys. What's reality or or dream big. And then let's chunk it down into reality. Um, and I, and I think, you know, the, the stuff that Simon talks about is very important. Um, and I think those, those whys are established once we have the, the, the quantitative vision down. Um, that, that's kind of my take on, 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 uh, you know, his, his writings and, and so on. I mean, I, I, this is, a, this is a, this is a funny story, but I listened to his start with why Ted talk every day for six months in the car on the drive to work. <laughs> I just fire up YouTube and just it, listen to it on the way to work. It's like absolutely every inspiring. Day. Yeah. And and I have not kept up with uh, some of his latest stuff, but I still think about the start with why, and I still kind of that, that's one of the things that I still motivates me. But um, but uh, apparently I've got some catching up to do. Mm. Um. So uh, at the very end, I want to give you um, a, a chance to kind of weigh in or add anything else that you that we haven't uh, addressed. Um, but as far as kind of like winding down with our time frame, um, I want to ask you a few closing questions. 
Uh, first of which is, um, if you could be the king of the beer world for a day, what would you change? Oh boy, really, Jeremy? Really, king of the beer world for a day? I would, uh, I would, I would change three. I would do three tier reform. The three tier system. I would reform it. Ooh, that sounds like we could uh, have a completely separate podcast just to unpack that comment. Uh, briefly, what can you describe briefly what that would mean or what that would look like? Yeah, I mean, I think the laws are antiquated for states where breweries can't self-distribute. I think they are some permanent handcuffs on breweries that want to grow. I think it, they are they were intended to st- stunt growth. Uh, once again, I agree with you 100%. Distributors are a critical part in the COGS because at some point I look at some self-distributing customers and say, guys, it's not worth it anymore. Let's figure out how to sell these rights. Let's figure out how to move these rights and um, get get going. But for the smaller guys, uh, they need a shot. They need to get their feet wet and understand it. But I, I just think it's a... It's an intentional, it's an intentional stealing set on startup breweries. Okay. And the, the topic's near to my heart because I'm in Florida, and there's just you don't have a choice. You, you can't talk street here. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, well, yep. like I said, that's going to have to be a longer, lengthier conversation. But uh, I, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next question. Um, if you had the ability to choose your very last meal and your very last beer before you depart this earth, what would they be? Oh, man. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of Mediterranean food, uh, and it would be something Greek. It would be like a lamb shank with orzo and spinach pies and a giant Greek salad. Oh, Nice. And the last beer would be uh, Gnarly Barley Juicer. Uh, I'm sorry, say that one more time. Uh, Gnarly Barley, uh, Gnarly Barley's Juicer. Okay, I, I don't know that one. It's a delicious beer. <laughs> uh, is that a Florida beer? Yeah, they're actually out of Hammond, Louisiana. Okay. Just north, just north of New Orleans. Okay, well, they just got a nice shout out then. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, Chris, with all of your experience in the beer world and everything else, um, why does good beer matter? Oh, I think, uh, you know, I think alcohol is a necessity. Um, I actually, funny, I said that in an Ecos uh, webinar, and one of our team members, or actually our most senior team member, has that down in her signature line. It says, beer is not a... Um, what does she say? Beer is a, it's not a luxury, it's a necessity. And she put Chris F Eco's conference or, or whatever. It was kind of funny. So I, I, you know, I think it is a, um, it's a, um, it's not a nice to have, right? I don't think alcohol, people require alcohol to, uh, as part of their day. Um, I think if anything, COVID has started the alcohol consumption earlier with no commute times and starting and stopping work whenever you want. Um, but um, 
to take it to good beer, what's the alternative? Right? We've all tasted the alternative. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the pinnacle of what craft is about is drinking a liquid that satisfies the alcohol part of it and just tastes so delicious and doesn't leave a nasty taste in your mouth, doesn't uh, give you a bad headache, doesn't just, it just is a really enjoyable experience. Like talking about it right now, I'm craving a beer. <laughs> I'm craving uh, a beer. I'm actually going to go home and have one, I think. Well, we, we, um, we are uh, we are during your happy hour right now, so I apologize. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but look, beer breweries are the source. That's where consumers get the freshest beer at the brewery. That's why the tap room is so appealing. That's why breweries have an unlimited landscape to really capitalize on the experience in the tap room. So, you know, good beer matters because that's it. It's a high quality product. It's it's what it's what beer drinkers love. Yeah, I've, I've, I've often said uh, uh, beer is something that no one needs but everyone wants. And what I mean by that is it's not necessary to sustain life, but it's necessary to sustain quality of life. And uh, if you're going to get rid of beer, you might as well get rid of Netflix and Disney Plus at the same time. Because otherwise, you know, we're just going to sit around and stare at a wall all day long. Right. And, and that just sucks. Uh, how anyone who's listening, if they want to uh, either get on your uh, newsletter mailing list or contact you for uh, for some advice and help, how can they connect with you? Yeah, so our website is www.sbstandard.com. Uh, that's small batch standard, but sbstandard.com. And if you head to that website, uh, up in the upper right hand corner, you can request a call with me, and we can discuss. You know, whatever questions you have, and uh, down on the page, there's a hundred spots to jump on our newsletter. And I would recommend that because, as you've mentioned, and as we've talked about this entire hour, we're putting content, we're putting high quality content out there. And I never intended not to put out high quality content because I want people to take what I'm saying and put it into action and and, and motivate them and get them get them going because. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy running a brewery. So, um, my website, there's multiple places to contact us and multiple places to get onto our newsletter. Great. And, uh, any final words of wisdom? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, sure. I think that, uh, most breweries are going to make it out the other end. I ask all the brewery owners to be patient. I'm hearing opportunities popping up left and right, opportunities which cost a lot of cash, and I think that is short-sighted at the moment. I really think the focus should be to make it out to the other end. And the other end may be next summer, and maybe next in 20, January 2021, but strong fiscal accountability and responsibility is what the focus needs to be now and just focusing on what matters, which is quality beer and running a quality business. Great. Yeah, I think in that uh, last episode that we talked, it's you know it, it, it used to be that all you had to do was just set up shop and brew some decent beer and game was on. It's not that way anymore. So thank you so much for 
adding your expertise. Thank you so much for kind of sharing your insights with um, all of your experiences and, and knowledge uh, for those people who need to up their game, whichever game that is. You're welcome. Anytime. I'd love to, I'd love to come back and talk to you again, Jeremy. This is great. Great. I love it. Uh, otherwise, uh, have a great day. Enjoy that beer and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Brewers and pub owners usually wear many hats to keep the business going. It's exciting to have a new challenge every day, but it's not easy doing everything all the time. Sometimes we need a coach or a guide to help keep us from getting lost in our to-do list. In the next episode, we begin a series called Beer with Benefits, and we talk to a brewery that is saving the planet one beer at a time. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.